And welcome, everybody. Oh, my gosh. We are so excited for today's show. I've been waiting for this one for the last month. Hi, I'm Eileen Grimes. I'm the Jupiter Rising Show host, and I've got Winnie with me. Hey, Winnie. Hello, world. Hi, little Eileen. How are you? What did you just say? <laughs> what was that? Gobble I said, hello, world. Hello, uh, Eileen. How are you? I'm fine. I'm good. So I'm looking forward to having you on, as on as the uh, co-host today. Because you're going to have a very interesting time to listen listen to this music that we're going to be presenting. So anyway, um, what today what we're doing is a Gustav Hull spectacular, and we're going to be featuring most of the movements of the Planet Suite. And what you heard coming into the show was the Jupiter movement of the Planet Suite. And I've been talking about this for a while now. And I've decided, you know, it was about time we actually started to showcase this this work because it's so extraordinary. So, and on my guest, on my guest, let me try that again. On the show today is my guest, Michelangelo, and he is from New York City. And he's a fantastic musician slash astrologer, and he's done a lot of research on Gustav Holst. And I just was reading his his thing that he wrote. It's like, you know, teeny little spaces. It's, He's got a Mercury in Virgo. I always give him a hard time for that, but he's very meticulous about stuff. So we know he doesn't miss a thing. So anyway, we're going to be talking about that. And then as we go into the show today, we're going to be doing the Astro Celebrity of the Week, of course, which is Gustav Holst, naturally. And then we're going to go on and we're going to insert some pieces of this music from all seven of the movements. And the planet suite are, is from Mercury on out to, up, not up to Pluto, out to Neptune. Mercury, uh, basically what we're talking about here was a piece that was written in 1914 to 1916 before Pluto was ever discovered. So there is no Pluto movement or the Earth movement. So the seven other movements are the other planets. So anyway, let's take a break really quick here and let's go to that. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, Gustav Holst and, the, and we'll bring on our guest, Mr. Mr. Hello, Mr. Michelangelo. I'm a little frustrated today. I fell down yesterday and I hurt myself pretty bad. So, anyway, I'm just having to kind of sit here, you know, and hope it doesn't hurt that much. Anyway, so this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150.
Oh, you can just play the rest of that for me. I, I absolutely adore that movement. That is from the Jupiter Suite, believe it or not. There's the beginning of the music, then you hear it in the suite, and then the end of the music, it all sounds similar. But this part of the music, this is about three minutes into the piece, has this marvelous hymn. It's called I Vow to Thee, My Country. It's actually one of the main hymns of the British Isles. It was taken on to be one of their hymns that they would use. But um, this was written first by Mr. Mr. Gustav Holst. And right now I'm going to bring on Mr. Michelangelo. Okay, so we just played the middle part of Jupiter, the I Vow to Thee, My Country part of it. And, I mean, when I was trying to select... The music for this particular show, I selected this this particular work, and I really wanted to use this part of it. I really did, but I, sure. sort, I sort of needed something at the front and the back that was really kind of fun and punchy. So, uh, But I really wanted this part of it more than anything else. What do you have to say about this particular part of the movement? Well, it's interesting, you know, to think that Holst, of course, is, um, how should we call it? On some level, he's a lineal descendant of Elgar, you know, Edward Elgar, who wrote yeah. much in the way of ceremonial music during that Edwardian period, you know, leading up at, at the end of the 19th century and leading up to the uh, First World War. So, of course, you know, Elgar is very f- well known for his pomp and circumstance march, which is played at virtually every graduation you can possibly imagine. And this portion of Jupiter, I think, is very much in that okay mold you know it's a it's a processional or you know arguably it could be a recessional as well but it has this this stately grandeur that we that you know without wanting to you know devolve into nationalism of any overt sense we right. would tend right. to associate with the british empire at the height of its glory yes and uh, so i think it's very interesting and of course it uh, for those of you that will recall they actually played this hymn at the the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. Oh, they did? I didn't even realize that. Well, it's before I even knew about it. um, Wow, that's amazing. I'm pretty sure I recall that, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it it really is steeped in this tradition of, um, you know, ceremonial music that was composed uh, by uh, composers for various state occasions. And, of course, Jupiter does conjure up this whole notion of this kind of noble, Noble, nobility uh, and yes yeah yeah and regal. I, mean, I think the, the movement actually at that point is andante nobile right so okay, it is a right. noble andante literally. exactly right yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so what yeah. we're going to do right now is we're going to take a break really quick and we're going to come back on we just wanted to stop off on that one for a moment even though i would have loved to have stayed there for long, 10 years but i couldn't so anyway we're going to come back here and we're going to talk about another one of the planets in this planet suite so this is the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Nels Rasmussen and his healing ministry for animals.com, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 22nd, we'll welcome back Morley Venkatro, and it's Dr. Morley now, as he's finally earned that PhD in yoga. He'll share the details and be teaching us all about yoga and how and what chronic diseases and illness it can help with. And his voice is mesmerizing. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150.
Isn't that cool? That is the Mars movement. That's how it begins. That's the very first movement in the cycle of this planet, sweet. And, you know, I, I was reading Michelangelo. Um, I was yeah. looking, looking at another couple of videos on the planet, sweet, and he was talking about the... the 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 um, bowing of the the uh, you know of the strings, of the strings and, the, and yeah. they were doing this thing called, I forget what it's called were they using the, yes that's right striking them with the wood yeah yeah mm-hmm. striking the wood with with the um, with the thing <laughs> I can't mm. remember I have no brain today anyway uh. so um, yeah and it, it really does sound like something else actually yeah. you know and how appropriate for Mars of course to actually know hit the violin with the violin bow. yes you know, that's a very uh isn't very that the truth oh wow yeah, yeah. It's very interesting yeah and of course a lot of people thought that holst wrote mars in uh response to the first world war but the planet was actually begun in 1913 so it, it predates the war by right by a year uh but certainly i'm you know he could not have been unaware of the of the tensions in europe at that time and uh by the time he finished it, of course, you know, Europe was fully embroiled in right. the First World War. Uh, the U.S. still hadn't entered. But, you know, by 1916, you know, every, everybody was warring with everybody else. So it's uh, probably not entirely out of the realm of possibility that right. he could have been influenced by that. I, re- yeah. I remember seeing a video of this piece. I love watching the videos of the orchestra playing them. And oh, yeah. um, there was one that I saw that had a female conductor. She was from Finland. And okay. um, I forget her name, but <laughs> I remember looking up. I had to see what her birthday was because she conducted like she was Mars when she conducted. Wow. She was freaking angry when she was conducting it. And yeah. she evidently, I, I don't know if she was an Aries, but she had a North Node and Aries and a bunch of planets next to it. I said, well, I'd say this is pretty darn perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. for her own evolutionary process to take place to actually have a chance to conduct this particular piece. And she was just in it. She was amazing. I was looking at the commentary afterwards and said, man, this woman is really something really hot, you know, but but that's what it takes, you know, for a conductor to do. You can't just stand up there and wave your hands at people. Yeah, no, it's so uh, you have to be the... uh the uh, leader of the orchestra, you know. Right. Um, so, Winnie, are you there? I am. <laughs> so, do you have anything to say? I know you're listening, but. I'm just listening because I have no clue. It's not heavy metal. It's not no. new age rock. So, <laughs> I am, I'm lost in the stars. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Good place to start. That's good. Yeah. The interesting thing about Mars, of course, is that it's in 5'4", so yes. it's in an irregular meter. And uh, I, I watched a program online, or listened to a program online not so long ago, and talked about the influence of Holst on later cinematic composers yes. like John Williams. Yes. And yeah. John Williams has a similar type of 5'4 march in some of his music for Star Wars. Yes, he so does. it's clear that... Uh, Holst's uh, influence was wide-ranging yeah. as a consequence. It was, it was 100 years before everybody that uh, yeah. came out. And, you know, Williams, for one, who was who else was it involved? I mean, no. the other composers that were... Yeah, it could be any number of yeah. the Hollywood composers. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you should mention the, the conductor because Holst does have uh, his North Node in Aries, as I'm sure you noticed, and uh, he has Chiron there as well. Um, Mars in Virgo, which is interesting. You know? Ooh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, what's he got Chiron in? What sign? He has Chiron in Aries as well. <gasps> okay. All right. Mine's in Capricorn, but yeah. um, so you know that speaks to a certain extent to his his own you know upbringing, obviously, and some of the the setbacks he experienced along the way. Yeah, you know, that's for his right. Own individual that's for sure. vision. You know. Yeah, and um, it's the stuff that could heal him, and I bet you part of that music did that for him. It'd mm -hmm. have to, you know, he pulled that whole business right out of himself. You know, right yeah. from the bottom on up. So that's pretty awesome. And of course, we talked the other day about the whole astrological influence of of his personal studies. Yes, uh, right. On the genesis and the, uh, you know, the creation of the planets' movements. And right, uh, it, right. I think this is one of the most astounding examples, as oh, I yeah. said to you, of a direct connection between astrology and artistic inspiration. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, Totally you know, this is something that I've explored to a certain extent in my own writings, you know, and yeah. uh, but there is no more a profound exemplar of this connection between, you know, the stars as signs, if you will, you know, I we don't know. necessarily That's want to really say true. that, you know. So you know, anyway, uh, we're going to go on here to yeah. do take a snippet of Venus. That's the next piece. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I tell you, it's like the first time I've heard him. Well, of course, the sound system in this studio is wonderful. So anyway, um, yes, this is the bringer of peace. And this is Venus. And uh, it's the antith antithetical point from Mars. Mars is male. Venus is definitely female. So um, Michelangelo, um, I don't know that much about his influence or his particular um I guess you would say his influence from this for, to get this particular song out of him. So how would you, how, what would you think it would be? Um, hang on one second here, my dear. Okay. I just wanted to say that this whole idea of Venus being the bringer of peace is an interesting one because we tend to associate Venus, you know, more in, in the modern era with the whole uh, erotic component of Venus. Yes. But uh, <laughs> Traditionally, of course, Mars would have been regarded as the storm that, you yeah. know, uh, roiled creation. And then Venus was the calm thereafter. And right. so I think we very much have this with uh, Holst's conception. And again, it's arguable that he got some of those ideas from his own astrological studies. Um, right, exactly. But what's also fascinating is the fact that um, he uh, has Venus right at the top of his chart. Yes. In Scorpio. He does. Yeah, yeah, the focal point of a T-square. So, uh, you know, it's very interesting to look at it from that from that standpoint. Well, I r was reading the information you're talking about his T-square and how, I mean, you look at his ascendant is, is Aquarius, the moon's in Aquarius, and Uranus, the ruler of all that, is in the seventh house in opposition to all that. 
whoa. <laughs> I mean, once he got the Uranian thing hit him, I think it was the, was that the midlife crisis? When it was Uranus was opposing itself when he got that? I can't remember. Ah, uh, the wonders of... Holst. I mean, we're all being mesmerized by this. Ah, oh, the sound is fine. So, so I missed some of your comments about Venus, unfortunately. Oh, uh, Venus, um, how does it relate to Mars? Obviously it does, but I was just looking at his own chart with the Uranus oh, yeah. rising, or Aquarius rising next to the moon and, and then Saturn, and then opposing that as Uranus. You know, yeah. and so, I mean, that's a double whammy of Uranus when he got that stuff, when he started writing this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uranus went over the Ascendant, and then not right. long after, of course, he began began his Uranus opposition, and that's when he started writing Yeah. What a great time to do that, I'm telling yeah. you. I basically entered the world of astrology on my Uranus opposition. I mean, oh, I looked. I checked. It's like right wow. there. Yeah. Wow. Really, yep. So that's, it's a very, a very powerful transit. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Really. And also uh, that, at that time, he had, I think, if I remember correctly, it's in my article, he had progressed Uranus to Urania, the, the oh, yes. asteroid that also relates to astrology. Yeah, this okay. Is, yeah, right. Triple yeah. whammy. I was looking up Urania in my chart. It's, it's connected to a, tease or, um, a grand square in my chart. Uh -huh. <sighs> You know, so that's the grand square that I use for astrology. So that would make perfect sense. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't see a direct aspect relationship between Venus and Mars in his chart. Uh, no, not Venus really. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's one side and then, then there's the other side. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's, it's just, yeah, it, it's, um, it doesn't have a romantic feel to it, but it has, no. has a, Kind of a continuation at the end of it is Neptune, <laughs> you know. Sure. So yeah, yeah that's, that's what it sounds like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, okay, we have to take another break here. And when we get back, we're going to be talking more about the next episode, which is the Mercury movement coming up next. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Barrelful of Monkeys by Matt Shea. Matt Shea started a new venture. It's called The Barrelful of Monkeys, and it will be a new collection of Matt's writings in mini audiobook form. Our first audiobook is now out, and it's only $5, and you can order it at mattsheabooks.net. In the meantime, you can browse Matt's updated and the redesigned website. And now there's a free book, free audiobook on his site that you can download called Judge Wong. Matt would love to hear from you and promises to answer any or all who contact him. You can also write to him at his personal email address at W-O-R-K-N-M-A-T-T-7 at AOL.com. And don't forget his website, www.mattsheabooks.net. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Alternative Talk 1150.
that very high F up there. It's so cool. This goes up and hangs there. It's very cool. That's the Mercury movement. And if you don't know about Mercury, Mercury is the communication function in our in our charts. And Mercury is also the winged messenger in mythology. So doesn't that sound like Mercury jumping around from galaxy to galaxy, delivering all those little messages? Really does. So anyway, um, so Michelangelo, about this one, yeah. um, um, this is just fun. This is just a fun little piece, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, we have to recognize here that at least to a certain extent, Holst is now yielding to a sort of musical convention in that we have we have the opening, you know, stark uh, uh landscape of Mars, which, you know, is certainly arresting and uh, sets the tone for the rest of the piece. And then we have the contrasting movement of Venus. But now we have a scherzo, right? We have yes, a, a scamp. Well, That's cute. Right. You know, yeah. a musical joke, if you will. This, uh, So once again, we're, we're setting a contrast between uh, the previous two movements and what's to come. And uh, but it certainly it captures, I think, much of the essence of, of Mercury in, in its quicksilver nature, you know, um, very sprightly, very um, you know, full of full of mischief, all these types of things that we associate right. with Hermes, exactly. the Prince of Liars, right? So, I mean, I think he has caught it to a certain extent, um, most assuredly. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I mean, this had to have been a just a really little poppy little day that he was having that he wrote this, because everything yeah. is, feels rather weighted, you know, in his in yeah. his composing. This is yeah. this, 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 yes. What are you? Are you okay, so. All right. So Here she is. About, yeah, she's just falling asleep at the wheel, but that's okay. Yeah. So I'm, okay, so I don't get any of this stuff, but what I can say is that with me being who I am, every time I'm hearing the music, I actually will see scripts of things. You oh, know? yeah. When, you know, the visualizing where he or this person had come up with this, it's kind of like he was in a dream state the whole time. Okay. So, my question is, since you've done his astrology stuff, was this person very psychic or was he very intuitive? Because like I said, I don't get any of this, but I do I do see visions of where he was going with it. Okay. If that makes sense. That's great because that's actually true. Um, he was studying metaphysics for a long time and then he happened upon astrology and it took off with that. But he does have some pretty strong Neptune in his chart, which kind of says, okay, that's that's the mystical stuff that you're hearing. So, uh, yeah, and how would you say about that, Michelangelo? Well, well again, uh, as I talked about in my essay, we had first for him, we had the, the Uranus opposition, but then, of course, he had his midlife Neptune, Neptune square while all this was going on. And, uh, and he has Neptune retrograde in his chart. Now, you know, in the world of classical music, having come from that, you know, you don't really talk about being psychic, but it was clearly the case that Holst was very interested in metaphysics from a, a, an early age. And with Neptune retrograde, there's, uh, uh, you know, according to various commentators I've read over the years, there is this sense that maybe there have been psychic abilities in the family line which have been suppressed. Yeah. You know, and the onus is then on, on the native to, you know, just sort of um, claim those for himself. And of course, he would have done that in, in a direct way in delving into astrological divination right? right he would have allowed himself to bring his uh latent intuitive abilities to the fore you know uh, exactly. and but certainly i would say neptune you know informs his his musical sense and his oh, yeah uh, 
his deep connection, I think, with these archetypes as he went through this compositional process. Right. It's in the it's in the third house, right? And it's, right. it's also uh, uh, close to the North Node. So that this sense that you know there there was a certain incarnational imperative that required him to claim that uh, aspect. Yes. Of himself, That's exactly I is, right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I sort of see his chart, you know, he's got the Saturn on the Ascendant, which is heavy enough. And then yeah. he has it opposing, he has it Uranus involved with it, the Ascendant. So yeah. I'm kind of going, okay, there's this two archetypes right there. And he's got the third archetype, which is Neptune. So yeah. it, it sort of says to me that he's had, had a really structured ba um, growing up. And he, he did. He had a lot of problems and physical stuff, too. But then yeah, once he started, ailments. pardon me? Lots of physical ailments. He yeah, was a, he did. Very and and when, he, when he started to compose, it's sort of like he basically broke out of all that, you know, yeah. because that's what he needed to do to do that. He needed to get out of the real physical level of, of being in existence on the planet and into the metaphysical level, yeah. you know. And um, it's, it's hard to do that and make a living, but, you know, um, he certainly got a lot of fame with this particular um, oh please. yeah, yeah. No question about it. He really did. And of course, you'll you'll probably have noticed that there is a square between Saturn and Neptune, wide square. Uh -huh. and, yeah, there is. Yeah. So again, that 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 the tension between those opposites, you know, must yeah. have been very very palpable for him. Yeah, um, somehow making a career of. Where was uh, this guy's connection with his mom? Because I feel like there was a lot of love and hate relationship there oh i'd say that wouldn't you yeah moon moon conjunct saturn yeah that would do it oh baby yeah. yeah again you won't you won't have heard much about it i mean i had i don't have no a... but i feel it's in the music oh yeah that's oh, why yeah. i'm asking yeah that's because i feel like she inspired him but then he also hated her too yeah. yeah i would say that that's accurate yeah 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 that's interesting and i don't think there's been that much um, analysis of the music that he's done by people who've sat down and yeah. say, well, it was this, it was this. And I mean, astrological analysis, one thing, but, no, no, no. but they really haven't had that much analysis of what kind of stuff was inspired in him and made it come out a certain way. So there hasn't been that much, but you know, this is kind of where I'm interested in peeling back the, you know, um, well, I'll peel it back for you. Was you the already did. Yes, I know. <laughs> Good job. Good job. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, okay. Um, and so now next we're going to move on to the Saturn movement. We're going to skip Jupiter because we already featured that and we feature it every week on the show. So we're going to be doing the Saturn movement.
that's just beautiful too. I mean, every one of these, it's taken me a while to get through all of these pieces because it takes, I mean, if you're like me, I am a musician and, and so I feel things really deeply and being an astrologer is sort of like on the same circuit. So when I listen to it, I listen to pieces of it at a time and just absorb it, and then I go to the next one. So, uh, Nathan, you were asking me about uh, the interval between those two notes. Yeah, it sounded to me like a minor third, but I'm not quite positive. Tritone. Tritone. Oh, was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is the fascinating thing about the beginning of Saturn is that there's these open chords in the strings uh, that are based, there's a tritone on top, and then the the initial interval in the contrabasses is also a tritone. So oh. Okay, it might have been an interval of a tritone because I was thinking of like between a perfect fourth and perfect fifth right. type yep. tritone. It sounded a little narrow to be from like a C to an F sharp, but... Okay, very yeah. good. Yeah. God, you even know music. God, you're a talented man. Anyway, it's good to have you for a host. This was the Saturn one we just heard, right? Yes, that was yeah. the, that was the beginning so of the Saturn what, movement. What in his life that caused him to like feel really depressed and then waiting for anxiously for something to happen? That like, was, did he lose his yeah. job or what happened during well, that time? Right, in, right on his ascendant is Saturn, okay, and it's right next to the Moon, so that's very tough to have that in aspect because it generally means a person is predisposed towards depression which he had yeah. through his life. And he, he was definitely a loner. He was an introvert. And um, he just didn't like to do stuff. And he didn't really want to be with a lot of people, it seemed like. He did once yeah. in a while, but not really that much. But he was pretty much okay. a loner. Yeah. It seemed like during the time he made this uh, this music, though, yes. like really bad kind of happened, but he was anxiously waiting to, to overcome it. Yes. So that's why I was asking what you know, do you guys know what happened during no, the time? No, you know, and this would be an interesting thing to study, even though there's no direct information on this, but what was his, what were the general moods at right. the time he wrote all these pieces? Yeah, you know? that would be really interesting to, to talk about. Yeah, it would. Yeah, and this this one would have been something he could just drag up real quick, you know, inside of his soul. But I don't know if he would, because it's it's Saturn, so it as, asks us to do a lot of work on it. But... Well, uh, so what do you think, Michelangelo? Well, again, you and I discussed this the other day, Eileen, that he had noticeable career setbacks Yes. in his uh, late 20s, obviously having to do with the Saturn return, but yes. even even delayed into his mid-30s with this, the next upper uh, Saturn square. Right. And, uh, you know, we see here, I think, in the workings here of, of that prominent Saturn, um, he realized he'd come sort of to an end uh, of the musical direction that right. he tried to follow prior to that you right know, and right. um yeah that's, and that's and then, certainly coming and, as he did not from a wealthy family you know uh mm-hmm. he had to take on various kinds of odd job work he played trombone in an orchestra i mean he did all these types of things sort of to keep body and soul together so there were noticeable setbacks which mm-hmm. would certainly he was also been, a the choir director at some girl's school yeah that's yeah exactly that right. too yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, so, he's done a lot of stuff. So yeah, you know there are some notable composers who were from wealthy families and never had to worry about whether they had to put food on their table right, or to right. pursue their art. But he was not one of them. No, no. So yeah, that and of course he was very much of a melancholy temperament. Yes, anyway. that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, men- melancholy. Is what we're talking about. Depression, basically. So yeah, yeah that's very true. 
Okay, yeah. so anyway, now we're going to take a break really quick. When we get back, we're going to play the next movement, and you'll kind of recognize if you know astrology. Anyway, so this is Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW, Alternative Talk Radio. Hi, this is Eileen Grimes, and I'm talking about Ms. Susan Bergstrom from the Medicare Exchange. Medicare covers a very important and confusing issue as we near retirement, largely because Medicare doesn't cover 100% of your medical costs, only about 80%. That means we will need affordable supplemental coverage that takes care of the 20%. Susan Bergstrom can help get the best coverage for you. With her, the process is really easy, and in the end, she'll save you money. Right now is the open enrollment. It's to till through, excuse me, December 7th. And you'll be able to, if you want to enroll in Medicare or you want to change your med- existing medical plan, you can do that during this time. So contact Susan today to set up your appointment. She'll get you all set up. So if you need more information, call Susan at 213, sorry, 253-318-9379. Or email her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Multicultural, multidimensional even. Alternative Talk 1150. tell you we have to we just just play them all please you know next well, time we, the guy was tripping out on mushrooms or he was having a nervous <laughs> breakdown <laughs> well you know this is very accurate this is the planet uranus it would be this is the one that's transiting over your sun right now missy so i, know. I, I, I mean, this. when you hear it it has to remind you of what you've been going through yes <laughs> yes uh, because Chaos. It's, it's crazy, you know. It's a really crazy thing when you're listening to it. This is the one that reminds me the most of the planet that's being written for is this one, you know. And um, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's just incredibly fabulous. Oh, another thing. Oh, I was going to mention this to Michelangelo. I was listening to it on the way up. And it stopped, and I said, okay, now it's time for Neptune. And then it went on some more, you know, with that. And I said, well, it figures it would be unexpected, wouldn't it? You know, there was a little bit left, a little tag ending or something, and I'd forgotten there was a little bit more to the music. So I thought, oh, that was funny. So anyway, so um, how do you think, um, how do you think his life was going when he wrote this, Michelangelo? Well, again, you and I have discussed this, Eileen. He's in his Uranus opposition, right? Right. Ever 
you know, convincing evidence that someone was 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 subject on whatever whatever level you want to construe it to planetary influence. This is the uh, quintessential example thereof. So much so uh, that he actually devises a musical theme, which to a certain extent is a spelling of his own name. Yeah. Those first four notes in I think in the horns, G F A B, mm-hmm. is attempt to render his own name in musical terms wow so he's thoroughly to my way of thinking uh, identified with this uranian archetype at this oh, time yeah. of life and at the time he's writing this symphonic masterwork yeah i feel like you know if uranus had come down out of the heavens you know the sky god that he is and sat down in front of hulse and said let's hear this movement you wrote about me and yep. he'd listen to it and go Right on, right on. <laughs> you covered it perfectly, you know, and um, it really has this sort of um, odd sound to it, you know. Yeah. It, it's another scherzo like Mercury, right? Yeah, uh, it's disconnected, Uranus, all that kind of stuff. But that's the way you know, Uranus is. So yeah. why not, you know? And it's really just a an amazing, an amazing part of this piece and um i was going to tell you that the next piece is neptune we're going to be doing that here in just a second neptune um i performed part of this thing and you don't hear it on the the thing that we're playing today but at the end of the movement there's a there's a chorus singing uh, and singing high melodic you know very almost otherworldly sounds so and i sang that a long time ago about 20 years ago i think and it was interesting female chorus What's that? Wordless female chorus. At the is, end this, is that what they called it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's basically there were no words, just the sounds. And, um, you know, it was it was just a really an amazing, amazing thing. And I didn't even know what we were singing at that time. Oh, you're singing this thing called the planets. And I said, well, whatever that means. That was way before I was doing astrology. So so I was really lucky to actually experience that. So anyway, let's listen real quickly to Neptune. just takes you out of this world doesn't it isn't it i think that's wonderful don't you um michelangelo sure yeah neptune the mystic right neptune the mystic for title that he got directly from alan leo's book the famous british astrologer alan that's right that's right 
if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, and um, somehow he managed to internalize all of those planetary things, and he came up with sounds for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the thing that we basically don't have that much in astrology, but we have him. You know, uh, doing this, and um, I, you know, I think the first time I ever heard anything was the Jupiter movement. I just thought that was so joyful listening to it and heard all the stories about it. But then listening to the other ones were just so impactful, you know. And um, this um, this Met- Neptune movement has this, it's just uncanny the way it sounds. It's the way I would do it if I was doing Neptune. I'm a Pisces, so I'm telling you, I really love this one. So, yes. uh, yeah, exactly. So, so um, okay. Is there any final comments you want to make about the, the planet suite? Well, I just want to interject for your own future research, Eileen, that there is a Pluto movement. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Come across that when you were when you were doing um, uh, your researches because the the Halle Orchestra in England commissioned the British composer Colin Matthews a while back to write a Pluto movement. He oh. did call called Pluto the Renewer, but of course it's not Holst. But uh, yeah, just in case you want to investigate that. So um, you've heard course, it, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I, I, it seems to incorporate some of the reminiscences of the themes of, of the other movements of the suite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to bear in mind, of course, that the planets was written prior to the discovery of Pluto in That's 19- right. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't have known about it on any uh, conscious level. Maybe. That's right. I, Nathan Not asked me about that just before we went on the show. I said there was no Pluto back in 1914, 1916. So yep. they didn't have it to write about. But and. Yep. You know, I remember talking to him and saying that, you know, there is another movement, you know, that has been written by somebody else. I'd heard about that, just haven't heard it yet. So, you know, I'm not sure if I want to hear it, because if I'm listening to Pluto, I I would be prepared to be blown away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, to me, in some respects, Mars has got the move, it's got Pluto covered. It, oh, yeah, most assuredly, yeah. It, and, and, you know, with the Mars and Scorpio square Pluto, it's perfect. For, that's just, love. I love that. Just, you know, um, the sound of it just, just, it's so grand and huge and all that, but it has immense power in it. So and terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying, exactly. Terrifying. Yeah, it is. It's hard to listen to. I mean, yeah. um, and I've kind of gotten accustomed to hearing it, but. Um, I think at the end, where those, those chords at the end, it always sounds like somebody's dying. Somebody's being stabbed mm-hmm. to death. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, I, I, it's so beautiful, but it sounds like someone's dying. Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it, it's, um, it has all of the, you know, all of the, that all the temperature, I would say, of all yeah. all areas of that experience, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the first time I heard it, I just went, I got very uncomfortable listening to it. Yeah. But, yes. The, um, what was I going to say? The, the ironic thing about the planets, of course, is that it really garnered for Holst a fame that he, over time, actually became somewhat uncomfortable with. You yes. Know, he, yeah. He felt in many ways it detracted from his his yeah. later, as he would have put it, more serious pieces. Uh, and, he, and again, with Saturn rising, you'd expect that this would be a person and a moon in the twelfth. You know, yeah. this is a person who would not be comfortable with no. with the blandishments of fame. You know, right. and, uh, 
And he actually, like uh, other people before him who un ironically popularized astrology, did repudiate it to a certain extent, oh, but only in public. Uh -huh, uh, he right. He kept doing readings after that for his yeah. friends. It was cool. But yeah. I mean, it's very interesting to see this encounter between the world of fine art and astrology because it doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. I mean, I don't know of, of many other uh, classical musician astrologers, you know, no. um, and when you, if you were to talk to a lot of professional classical musicians about astrology, they would look askance, right? So right. it's very interesting to see that the, the fervent embrace of astrology by Holst at, at this time in his life and, and what the result was, this extraordinary yeah. symphonic work. Really, it, you know, it seems like it was also at the tail end of the mystical movement in society. Yeah. Because yep. this happened shortly after the Titanic disaster, which yep. was in this whole whole thing about mysticism and 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 metaphysics and all that were really popular right around then, you know, yeah, nineteen twelve. Yeah, and, and all those esoteric societies, the Theosophical yes. Society. Yeah, you had the whole spiritualist movement, of course, here in the United States, and all of that has a lot to do with the discovery of Neptune, of course. That's right. Yes, and Neptune yep. and Pluto were conjunct. At that time, right around 1912, 1913, so and Gemini, so yeah. it would it would be bringing in Plutonian aspects of the mystical stuff. So yeah, yeah very interesting stuff. So anyway, how much time have we got? Up? I have three minutes. Wow, we've got three minutes to talk. Wow, yeah, it's a are we used? And for us as astrologers, you know, it's such a, 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 a rich. Uh, you know, compilation of archetypal associations. I yeah. mean, I think Holst's genius was that he could bring these seemingly abstract notions to life in such vivid musical terms, right. indelible, really. Uh, yeah. You know, once you've heard the planets, you really, you'd be really be spoiled for anything else that came after it that attempt to evoke that same type it's, of thing. That's very true. And um, I mean, especially, I, I think about the most popular movement, and that's Jupiter. And, yeah. um, how fun it is, you know, for people who have played the, that particular piece in their band and all that. I was looking at, at different um, entries underneath um, the playing of each of the suites, especially the Jupiter suite on Facebook or YouTube. And there's like thousands of comments. So this is the most beautiful piece. I loved this. I loved this as a child. And I got to play it. It was so wonderful. I mean, it's it's completely changed my brain for classical music, you yeah. know, and I think that's an incredible, that's an incredible thing that he's given back to the people, because I think if Holst knew about that, he would be, that would be something very special to him. Sure. It would. So anyway, okay. Anyway, thank you very much. So much. Thank you so much, Mr. Michelangelo. I'm sorry. I'm very just, welcome. My I'm dear. so excited about this show. I can't speak right. So anyway, <laughs> so well, anyway, we got to some salient points for our astrological listeners. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, I think they probably liked it a lot. I liked it. So that's awesome. So thank you very much for being on the show today. So always anyway, a pleasure, my dear. yes, thank you. And Winnie, thank you, too. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me come on the show and listening in. Yeah, those are yeah, great questions you asked, too. Very, very good questions. Very, very nice to see you, Mr. Michelangelo. You're welcome, my dear. Okay. All right. All right. So we got to go here. And next week we have on Mr. Ray Grassi on the show. He'll be on talking about the election, all that, all the stuff. So 
take it easy for this week. Don't worry too much. I'm going to go nurse my body so it gets over this thing that I've gotten. Anyway, so uh, we'll see you next week on the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio.